the one and only time I saw Dave Coulier do the cut it out with the hand motions on Full House. It reminded me of the hand motions we used to do in Bible school when we'd sing along with songs. And that's a place I never wanted to return to. Much like the show Full House. Pavies and welcome to Post Punk Heartstrings. I'm Jimmy James S. Butler. That was guided by Voices bringing us in with Cut Out Witch. It's a bizarre little song about a witch who uses silver threads and golden needles to stitch us up. And in case you haven't figured it out, the theme of this episode is cutouts. Don't know what cutouts are? Well, you're going to find out soon as Mark and I talk about what cutouts are as we begin our conversation. This is going to be a two-episode string as Mark and I picked five cutouts each to talk about and explore. And I want to thank each of you for coming along for the ride. And here we go. How's it going? Good, man. How about you? I'm doing good. Thanks for taking some time out. Oh, man, this is going to be fun. I'm looking You're busy. I I watch all your your posts, man. (laughs) You're uh, sucking the marrow out of summer. Well, it, there are days that it's busy and other days I get home after work is like all I can do to, you know, watch a couple hours of TV, eat some supper and then crash. Right. Yeah. This should be interesting. This is going to be a fun one. <laughs> I think so, too. Yeah. One of the things when I was looking at this, I think we should talk about is what cutouts are and what that's all about, because some people probably don't even know what we're talking about. Probably most people who listen to this podcast are in an age range <laughs> and are fans, music fans. So they're, they've been exposed to this, yeah. um, but some people wouldn't. And, and honestly, <laughs> just be honest, I didn't really understand exactly what was all behind the cutouts until I started like reading up for this episode. Yeah. Now, you, you probably did, but a little um, bit. Yeah. Up until I started doing research for this episode, I thought that cutouts were just strictly factory seconds. I just thought it was like, okay, they're things that got damaged during the manufacturing process or something like that. And as I was um, reading up on what they were and kind of was going to get some details to just read off and do an introduction to this podcast, I learned a lot more about what's going on and what it was about. And I thought it was really pretty interesting. So yeah. I'm just going to read a few things. And, well, and if well, do you want to say something first, that's I, cool. I was going to say, before you read and give the official yeah. answer, let me give my impression. Yes, and then please I'm do. See, I'm curious please to do. see if what I've understood is what you, you read or if it's, if it's something totally different. Yeah, sure. So my impression or my understanding of the cutouts was this was the stock that 
could not be sold at regular prices. So the record companies would take them and like with the cassettes, they would drill a hole in the spine or with the LPs cut off a corner of the album. So you literally have a, have a cut out the CDs, same thing. They, they drill a little hole sometimes or, or take a little tool and kind of notch it to show that it wasn't brand new inventory, but it was the um, excess stuff that they just couldn't sell at regular prices. So it was a way to clear the shelves. So that's kind of my impression. Am, am I in the neighborhood or is there? You're definitely in, the, you're definitely in the neighborhood. Okay. <laughs> Squarely in the neighborhood. Yeah, I get. Yeah, I had it backwards. I was thinking, okay, these are things that got damaged, and so they're being sold for less. But they were things that were being intentionally damaged, so they could only be sold for less. Right. <laughs> Which is, I don't know, as a music lover and a lover of the packaging and everything, just kills me. You know. Yeah. I guess it was a real reflection of the the greed of the record companies that was going on a lot because it was all the record companies. That, sure. that we're doing this. Well, uh, it's probably a way that they can make sure that they're still keeping the money in their pocket and that it's not ending up on a secondhand market as brand new, but yeah, they're, yeah. they're losing out. I mean, they, clearly they don't have any sway over what happens on a, you know, uh, a used, you know, record store, but mm -hmm. this was a way they could still at least control the inventory. Right. Yeah. So yeah. LPs, they, they were the primary medium for, the commercial distribution, you know, years ago. Um, and they'd cut the corner, punch a hole, add a notch to the spine of the jacket of the unsold records that were returned mm -hmm. from retailers. So they were they were stock that were sent to the retailers, then returned. That way, you know, they could be resold to the record retailers, but they would be at a discounted price, you know. Yeah. And so most of the 45s, they they were they drilled a hole through the label or they stamped them. And you, I'm sure like me, I've seen a lot of stamp stuff that was pr pr promotional use only stuff. Right. They'd send to DJs and stuff like that. Um, right. Yeah. DJs, record reviewers, things like record that. Reviewers. Yeah. yeah. So but same the, concept. But, the, but those were never intended for resale. Those that were correct. For promotional. Correct. Use. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, uh, same concept in that they were altered so that they could not be sold at full price. So yeah, on cassettes, they say a hole was punched or burned through the case and through its printed insert on CDs, the jewel case, and they'd always get part of the inserts. And some sometimes they'd punch through the UPC code, which I was thinking back, I've seen a lot of that too. As a music fan who had extremely limited budget, you know, when I went to college in 89, the fall of 89, uh, when I first picked up a couple of the three or four of these albums we'll talk about. I'm in a job that I'm probably lucky if I'm making 450 an hour, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, to get uh a full album, brand new, yes, it's got the cutout, but a full album for a buck or two. Yeah. You know, it was a good way to start building a, a library that way. And I appreciate it as a as a fan being able to get music. I'm you know disappointed that the artists weren't able to benefit more financially from that. But yeah, yeah as, as a struggling college kid, that was a great way to start building my collection. Yeah, absolutely. I I remember getting really excited when I'd see you know something for like a buck or two. Although like the packaging is really important to me, I was still pretty excited in spite of a notch being in the thing or right. something or a corner cut off of, off of a LP <laughs> jacket. So, yeah. 
And a lot of times they were in bins, you know, a whole bunch in there together and you'd kind of sort mm-hmm. through them and try to find something you wanted. But yeah, the experience of walking into a record store and going to the bin and usually it was separate from all of the other ones. A lot of the ones I can remember were kind of yeah. at an intersection where several aisles would come together. And when I was first starting to you know look at those, it was primarily cassettes. There yeah. might have been a few uh, LPs or or CDs, but you know eventually more CDs get mixed in. But big bin and and if it was organized, they were all you know like spine ups. So it'd be real easy to read. Sometimes it was just kind of a deep bin that was kind of open and kind of all the cassettes were were dumped in there. Yeah, um, which was kind of fun but, in a way, right? <laughs> yeah, and you know it's it's a little bit different experience than going to the shop with a, a particular album in mind where you go alphabetically to the, you know where it's going to be on the, mm-hmm. the shelf or you know even if you got to go by alphabetical and, and genre and whatnot where you could go specifically to the place and, and find the album you're looking for this was always a hunt and discover hunter gatherer yeah. uh, sort of approach you know you never knew what you were going to find sometimes right. you'd get lucky sometimes you wouldn't and when you found something that was just like Ah, you know, the, the <laughs> you could hear the, the, the clouds part in the heavens and, and the sun comes shining oh. down and hear right exactly that angelic chorus as you found this album that was like, oh my goodness, I've been dying right. to hear this. And yeah, it was, was like a treasure cool. hunt. Yeah, it was, exactly. it was, it really was a treasure hunt, you know, and the fact that we're talking about these albums, I mean, I first started adding these to my collection, like I said, in the fall of 89, so that's what, 34 years ago? And this is music that's yeah. still important to me. Yeah. Perfect combo. Getting inexpensive music that's impactful. Right. <laughs> and stays with you, right? Yeah. Now I started, I think my first one was probably in around about the same time, maybe 87 or 88, somewhere okay. around there. And all of my picks, I don't know about yours, but all of my picks are albums, actual LPs. I have a lot cool. of other cds that are that are cut mm-hmm. outs but i don't know why i just picked all albums so yeah the but. the ones that i selected i got originally on cassette i think every single one of these i have added uh as cds to my library and you know if i stum- stumble across something in the used record store on vinyl i may add a couple you know a few more of these in but primarily i've got them cd for archival purposes and the yeah and the cassettes was the original way that i had discovered yeah. them cool do you still have all of them, the cutout I versions think, or not? I think so. There was a point where it's like, okay, I've got it on CD. I don't need to keep it. Yeah, and uh, yeah. I had a car that did have a cassette player. So I used to have a little zipper case that, and I think a bunch of those made it into that zipper um, carrier. Yeah. But yeah, since, since my move from um, the Dayton area over to Columbus three years ago, that's I think may still be packed away somewhere, somewhere. in a storage unit. And yeah, yeah. I, th- I thought I could lo- uh, locate them for the, the conversation today, but I just wasn't able to look that <laughs> yeah. up. I hear you. I have all but one of the ones on my list. Okay. I mean, I have it, but I don't have the cutout version mm-hmm. of it that I had. So yeah, I think that's a pretty good introduction to what we're talking right. about for people who don't know. I think that you should go first. This was your idea, this all episode. Right. I'm ready to jump right in. You can go on your list in any order. I don't know if you're going through the order you gave me or if you're jumping around, but whatever you um, want to do. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to remember specifically which one I bought first. I'm going to start first with Peter Case's self-titled album. Peter Case by Peter Case. 
came out in 1986 originally. And I first became aware of Peter Case's music, probably 86, 87, when the Christian station in the Chicago area that I used to listen to, WCRM, they actually played one of the songs uh, from that album from Peter Case, uh, a song called Echo Wars. It's the opening yeah. track. Yeah. Um, it's this uh, sparse acoustic, got a real interesting groove to it. And I don't know who the DJ was or the program director at WCRM that, you know, during daytime, they were playing somebody like Peter Case yeah, um, that's on this very Christian rock station. Yeah. Uh, around the same time, they were also playing Bruce Coburn, mm-hmm. who's the single um, from that Best Of album, uh, Waiting for a Miracle. Mm-hmm. They uh, played that around the same time. So a couple of general market artists who were being played on the station and you know, fast forward to 89, I'm a freshman in college. I'm working at a mattress store. Uh, that's about a mile or two from, from the college where I'm going to school. And across the street is a shopping center where nobody beats the Wiz uh, record store. Uh, it's a chain that uh, was throughout the mid-Atlantic region. And so one day uh, after work, I went in and lo and behold, again, one of the, you know, it was one of those angelic choir moments as the lights part <laughs> you know the clouds part and the light shines down here's this peter case album in the cutout bin you know and I, again a buck or two don't remember how much but i got it on the strength of that one song um mm-hmm. echo wars right and that was cassette i think you probably that said was that cassette. right that was yep. cassette yeah yep. you mentioned them the the dj that played them and so this one when i was listening and looking at it it was produced by t-bone burnett right right so I can understand maybe why somebody who was pretty hip on a Christian radio station, a DJ would kind of work this, you sneak this in or whatever. Yeah. Right. So I don't want to bogart your album. So oh, no, that's, um... <laughs> that's all right. Yeah. So T-Bone is the producer. He goes by the J. Henry Burnett yes. on the album. But that's that. T-Bone Burnett. And a lot of the musicians that are playing on that album um, are going to show up on uh, Sam Leslie Phillips's The Turning which uh, comes out a year later. So a lot of the musicians that T-Bone's working with shows up on that album, several of these other albums that we'll talk about. Quick background on Peter Case. Peter had come out of the uh, L.A. um, scene. He had fronted a couple of different bands, a kind of proto-punk band, The Nerves, uh, in the Mm -hmm. late 70s. And then he also was a member of the Plimsolls, a really groovy yeah. power pop band. A lot band. of people will know, I think. A lot, right. A lot of people know that. And, you know, for years, even though he's had a longer solo career than he ever was with the Plimsolls, it's not uncommon to see him you know, referred to as Peter Case X Plimsolls. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's been a solo yeah. artist for, you know, 35, close to 40 years now. Right. And at the time, Peter was married to Victoria Williams. And I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Victoria Williams. She's an artist in her own right, had several really good mm-hmm. albums. She s- shows up in backing vocals and a couple of songs, co-wrote a couple of songs on the album. So, yeah, some really good stuff. So the whole album has much more of an acoustic rock based folk rock um, orientation uh, to the music and the instrumentation. There's a lot of storytelling that takes place over the course of the album. Um, There's a song called Small Town Spree, which is about a burglary and I think maybe even a couple of murders that takes place in the the story of the the guy hiding out in a a shop waiting for, I think, the cops to show up. There's another song, and uh, we talked about maybe 
you working in a couple of the songs from the album. So Echo Wars yeah. is going to be one of those. I'd, I'd be interested in uh, you kind of yeah. featuring the other Great one. track. Yeah. 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 There's another song. I can see Four why Days. that pulled you in. Yes. <laughs> just hearing that track and like you just snatched up the album when you saw it. Yeah. Yeah. Not a king, cry, cry, sing, sing. I've heard this before. Um, the other song I think I'd like to to feature from this one is called Horse and Crow. Mm -hmm. um, it's got a okay. great melody and it's a story essentially of, of kind of a couple of oddball friends. Horse and Crow were pretty good friends living out of the same suitcase. The, the song um, starts and kind of how um, in the young days they're careless and carefree. And, and then um, as life goes on, they kind of separate and go different directions. So it's, it's kind of a unique story song about friends, but using these two dis disparate animals. First this happened and that happened and everything changed Crow, she flew off in a straight line Leaving horse and took a job making 20 bucks a day Some reason started looking for a sign When I everywhere he looked, everything was white Sometimes he thought he saw something moving in the light They were careless then And the rope stretched on and on well, it's a wonder and a shame All those calluses have gone Well, it's a wonder and a shame All those calluses have gone There's a song called Ice Water, a really good blues track about a poor working class guy who wants to wear uh, marry a millionaire's daughter and how she uh, elopes with him. And, you know, he had initially gone to her father and he said, you know, you'll do it when when it rains ice water. 
um <laughs> whatnot so it's a really really good a, a, a gentler version of when hell freezes over is that what that sort is of, yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and then uh near the end i can't remember if it's the very last song um on the album or close to the end there's a track called um a pair of brown eyes that's the last track yeah the last track and yeah. I, I didn't know it at the time, but uh, I was being introduced to uh, Shane McGowan and the Pogues as uh, Peter's covering the Pogues um, on that song. So I think for me as a listener, I have continued to appreciate rootsy Americana, folk-oriented um, rock and roll, uh, interesting storytelling. And all of my artists are people that may have have had or continue to have in some way a, a spiritual orientation, but it was not the primary thing front and center. And so, uh, you know, these, there's some very cryptic liner notes that show up in the, mm-hmm. uh, the album. And the very last thing Peter says, and there's these songs are about sin and salvation. Have fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. You know, and so yeah. they're not overt by any stretch of the imagination, but there is a sense of, of deep meaning uh, echoed throughout these songs. Yeah, I, I have a question for you, but before yeah, I ask my question, ahead. I'm going to mention the two songs that jumped out to me. Um, sure. The the one of them was the one I was, and if you hadn't mentioned it, I was going to the the pair of brown eyes. Um, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that. And before I even looked at any of the notes, I was like, it kind of sounds like a a pogues type. I mean, it's got like a little pogues type sound to it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Then I looked, you know, was looking at who. Um, was on the different songs and I saw Shane McGowan and I didn't know who that was until I clicked on it and of course I know who the Pogues are but I just didn't know that name So I really enjoyed that song a lot. And um, one of the other ones I liked, you know, a lot of the songs on here. One of the other ones I liked a lot was called More Than Curious. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just liked it a lot for the instrumentation part of it. I think I think it has Burnett listed as a co-writer of that one. I can't remember for sure, but it certainly sounded like he was playing on it. I don't I don't know if he was or not, but the sounds and things sounded very (laughs) Burnett-esque, you know like what you might hear on some of the Sam Phillips releases. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to mention as I listened through, those were, those were a couple that jumped out to me too. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've kind of maybe hit on this a little bit and your answer may overlap on some of these albums. I don't know, but so you heard Echo Wars 
you found this this cutout release and bought it. What became the huge impact of this album for you? Like over time, was it the was it the songwriting you're talking about? There was a lot of the tied song- in with the the folks blues type music mm-hmm. and storytelling. I think that's a a big part of yeah how this shaped me as a listener was through a lot of that that storytelling and those those acoustic uh, roots throughout it yeah. When did you get this one? You estimated uh, fall of eighty nine. So it was about okay. three years old. Okay. When I got. Yeah. So you were kind of maybe at this time doing a lot of spiritual exploration, maybe or maybe not. You were raised a little bit more on the. I don't want to say conservative side, maybe, but that's like as far as music, as far as yeah. music goes, you were, I think, right? Yeah. So, yes. um, religiously, musically, definitely grew up in a much more um, conservative environment. All of these albums are kind of albums that had a huge impact on stretching beyond the kinds of music I was raised with. You know, a lot of the music that I have continued to appreciate over the years has had a deep spirituality, whether it's you know, in line with what I was raised with or or, or think now, but there's some sort of deeper um, sense of bigger meaning and purpose in the world beyond my own little self. And uh, yeah, you know, I continue to appreciate that and just about all of the music that I, I um, listen to. I think spirituality is a good word. And I kind of feel like maybe you're like me a little bit in that all the real trite, like, Christian music or Christian adjacent music at the time was like a little bit of a turnoff in some ways, like, but some of this, like a little more reflective and a little more embracing of like um, the different nuances of life and spirituality. What's really real, not like a pretense of, you know, we're happy all the time. Everything's great all the time. You know, my world's perfect, (laughs) whatever. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which it isn't right so and i feel like some of these albums maybe all these albums you have on your list kind of explore the world and the different things in life that need to be addressed or need to be thought about or reflected on so yeah originally i know i said we jump back and forth should we jump back and forth yeah let's do let's or, okay let's, let's i was gonna say we're yeah. on a, we're on a theme and we'll jump back yeah. we'll sort of jump back to that so now for something completely different from <laughs> what we were just talking about my first album that I had on the list is a band called Quick Flight, mm-hmm. and the release was called Decent Beat, and yeah. it came out in 1983. Had you heard of Quick Flight before I sent you my list? I had, actually. Um, okay. I had ended up at one point with a copy of this on LP and had uh, given a buddy of mine a bunch of my LPs to um, copy over and put it onto CD for me, and mm-hmm. um, then I moved and... So I no longer have that in my library. He's he's still got it somewhere. And I asked him one time, he's like, oh, man, I don't remember having those. And so who knows where they ended yeah. up. But <laughs> I was familiar with uh, somewhere out there. Yeah. yeah. Some really cool um, new wave techno pop kinds of stuff. Yeah. You know, it's a Canadian band. This is the one on my list that I, I no longer have the cutout version. I've since okay. bought the LP again for much more than I paid for it when I bought it in the first place. I think it was a buck. <laughs> when I bought it in the first place, I didn't find it somewhere. It was a mail order and it was okay. probably from True Tunes or something like that. But it was a cutout and I can't remember. I think it was in the LP jacket. It was notched somewhere. And I just bought it based on just seeing the album cover and whatever description was in the catalog. So like I said, they were from British Columbia, Canada. 
came out on Star Song. And it was really, I mean, looking back, it's considered a, a pretty groundbreaking release in contemporary Christian music because of the techno and the synthesizer sequencers. Yeah. It was influenced a lot by the by the British synthesizer bands, like After the Fire. Um, it reminds me of real life. A lot of people may not know who that is, but they would probably know the song Send Me an Angel okay. um, from yep. real life. Um, it reminds me a lot of a band called Strange Advance, which hmm. one of the members of Quick Flight went on to join. Uh, oh. Strange Advance is a Canadian band that's that's kind of in the same genre. It's not a strictly a techno album. Like their use of sequencers and synthesizers is pretty yeah. pretty unique. I was curious because you said that this was not one you like picked up in a in a record store, but you saw listed a in a catalog. Mm-hmm. Um, somewhere. So I was curious, what was the, do you remember what the description was that, you know, you would take a, a chance on ordering it something? It was something. You couldn't even hold in your hand to, to look at song titles or see who, you know, the musicians yeah. or producer was, you know, what was it that grabbed you with something like I that? I think, I don't think I'm alone in this based on other people I've talked to in the, as particularly in this weird Christian niche, the alternative Christian niche. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I had secular records, but it was there was always that feeling of I shouldn't have this. So <laughs> there was a lot uh, of evangelical guilt. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but there was a lot of like wanting to find as much as you could in the Christian market of cool, interesting, mm-hmm. different music. And a lot of that was just what's the album cover look like? Right. What's the music described? At? Now, this one had the music described. You know, I can't remember the description exactly, but whatever description it had probably referenced some other bands like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Flock of Seagulls or or Devo. They have some similarities to Devo right. as well. So, so I probably was like, okay, done. Like I said, I think it was maybe a buck or something like yeah. that. And I bought a lot of albums I hated by going by the album cover. <laughs> <laughs> I've been lied to. <laughs> you show yes. me this. Show me this cool alt looking cover with this cool band name and cool album title and it's like ah, <laughs> this will not be in constant rotation but um the reason this was impactful to me was um there's a couple albums on my list and this is one of them in the christian market it would have fit in just playing it on secular radio yeah and so albums like that really impressed me in the christian market because the christian market a lot of times was you know 10 years behind <laughs> on music in production and stuff like that. Probably I was getting into this, some of this kind of music then, you know, Devo and, and things like that. And so I I was just, um, when I got it, I I was kind of blown away when I put it on. It was better than I expected it to be. Yeah. One of the songs I was going to play is called system breakdown. The other one is called Metro alien, which is a, you know, techno song title if you've ever heard one right? exactly <laughs> uh but but a lot a lot of their songs on there were kind of about the anxiety of being mm-hmm. in this world and feeling out of place and it sort of approached that from spiritual perspective so mm-hmm. and it wasn't super overt for the most part which right. i was always attracted to as well like not shoving it in my face or anybody <laughs> else's i think that's more impactful when you make people go and and search for things so Listen to us, we in your ear, we'll go to it. 
I went to college and had all my LPs at my parents' house. Came back, they were gone. And I had oh. I had a brother who has been in and out of drugs for most of his life. And mm. so I, I'm guessing he took them and sold them because um, they just disappeared and, and nobody knew where they were. <laughs> so, um, you know, I had quite a few albums mm-hmm. that are, that were pretty special to me uh, yeah. disappear. I had the the original White Album by the Beatles Ooh. and some things like that. So, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, this was one of them. So yeah, that's my first pick. New Wave. Very cool. So <laughs> was this an album that you found um, shaped your tastes in music or was it one that reflected tastes in music that you already had? I think it reflected and it encouraged my taste in music. I don't think I had heard of the band Strange Advance. Maybe it was about the same time I heard of them, maybe a little bit after. But I, for some reason, it's hard to describe. It's got a difference to it from other like New Wave, I think. That's a little bit deeper and more anthemic a little bit, maybe in some ways, okay. but I don't know. Hard to think of that when you're talking about new wave. <laughs> so yeah, I think it, it was reflective of what I really loved, but what had not been exposed to a lot of yet. Mm-hmm. As Chris Taylor says, I was a top 40 <laughs> kid. And so I heard Devo, I heard Flock of Seagulls, right. I heard Der Commissar, After the Fire, I, you mm-hmm. know, I heard songs like that. And I loved it, but I really didn't have access to go deeper into those genres. Yeah. Um, so this was uh, sort of reflective of what I was wanted more of. I was very excited to find this in the spiritual realm. Some of these are ones I just would go back and put on, you know, from time to time. That one's, I really like it a lot. Uh-huh. Maybe it's a little less frequent. I go back and put it on, but yeah, you know. Had, had you listened to it recently, you know, before we started prepping for this episode? Yeah, I would say about a year ago, maybe I went and I didn't have it at that point. I had to buy it again and okay. I hadn't bought it again yet, but um, I went on and, and listened to it, you know, on YouTube. Mm-hmm. you know so I, it comes yeah, to mind it's it's impactful YouTube. enough to where it it comes to mind from time to time as like this is a band that impacted me and i bring up you know in conversations mm-hmm. so nice that's pretty much it for that one all right well the second pick that i've got i purchased right around the same time as i got peter case same story going to 
Nobody beats the whiz after work. And <laughs> this time uh, I found uh, some Bruce Coburn. And I mentioned the, um, the song Waiting for a Miracle from that two disc uh, best of that came out in um, that came out what 87, 88, somewhere around there. And so I saw Coburn's name uh, on this uh, cassette jacket, but I didn't recognize any of the song titles. So the familiarity of Coburn's name is what drew me to this album. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff musically when I'm listening, I'll find something if there's an artist I like, uh, you know, go back into their catalog or, you know, we talked about some of the T-Bone Burnett and the cross uh, pollination of the, you know, musicians he's worked with and stuff. If I find a, you know, a musician that's played on another person's album or produced by, um, I'll go down those rabbit trails because if I like this one thing uh, that an artist has worked on, I'm guessing I'm going to like something else they've also done. Mm -hmm. yeah so you know that was kind of my thinking with picking up this Coburn album and got it home and really was wasn't sure what to expect and it wasn't what I was expecting uh, <laughs> <laughs> said, I didn't know what to expect um sonically there's it's not your traditional 80s album but it's sonically an album that clearly comes out of the 80s mm -hmm. this also came out in 86 and Bruce uh, has said that it's sort of a, a part of a trilogy of, of three albums, uh, starting with The Trouble with Normal and Stealing Fire. And then World of Wonders that all came out of experiences that he had in Latin America and writing about some things that came out of that experience. So the opening track uh, and one of the so, you know, to get to the question of how does this shape me as a listener uh, if you know anything about Coburn's music, he is not shy to speak his mind politically. Mm -hmm. uh, and there is a sense, I think, in which his music and his lyrics and his politics really do echo a radical commitment to a, a Christian faith, although it's not an overt thing, but radically living out like the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount and uh, some of that sort of thing. And the song Call It Democracy that kicks off the album confronts the International Monetary Fund uh, of all things. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you wouldn't expect mm -hmm. to, to hear a, a song about the IMF, but it's it's all mm -hmm. about how the political and financial structures in the world are set up that keep poor people in oppression. Yeah. And he's really pretty pissed off um, about uh, the whole thing. And, and I think it's the second verse of the song. Are you all right if I cuss? Because uh, I'm. Oh, yeah. Okay. Please, please so, do. So, so the song lyric says, spend a buck to make a buck. You don't really give a flying fuck about people in misery. Uh, and then the chorus yeah. is, IMF, dirty MF, takes away everything that it can get. Um, always <laughs> making certain that, That's great. Yeah. That's great always for. making certain that there's one thing left. Keep them on the hook with insupportable debt. Um, so, you know, there's just this really uh, powerful song of, of anger and rage at the way the poor countries are just kept in debt to wealthier countries. And there's no way for people in poverty and, and what we you know call the two thirds world to really find some financial stability for themselves. But they're always in um, subservience to to Western markets and, and so forth. And cynical instrument who makes the gun into a sacrament. The only response to the deification of tyranny by so called developed nations, idolatry of ideology. 
And those lines that I just quoted, the spend a buck to make a buck and the IMF dirty MF, got Coburn flagged with one of the first explicit language stickers. Um, ah. If you remember uh, Tipper Gore um, and uh, going to Congress and talking was, about, you know, the language yeah. and all of this other stuff and how, you know, popular music was was eroding, you know, the morals of the kids. Well, because <laughs> of that, this album got an explicit warning and the record label um it was on uh, true north in canada and i think gold mountain in the u.s and i know mm. in the u.s release they printed all of the lyrics on the back jacket of the album and then those particular phrases where the cuss words were they highlighted those words so it really stood out and made it obvious <laughs> <on the back. laughs> yeah so that and that's call it democracy. That's the song that's call the song. it democracy that so, opens it up said, the album. Yeah, I don't remember this, but it said that it was it had a fair amount of play on MTV. Uh, it might have. Yeah, so I wonder how that you know played into that the language and stuff. What I'm uh, sure they probably, they probably yeah, if MTV did beep something stuff to, out or had a different version or something what, like yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> imagine Coburn wouldn't have been too happy. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, don't censor me <laughs> right so they had the words and they like sort of boldened them or in some way so they stood out <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so he was always a little bit peeved at the, the album getting a, an explicit warning and, and the way that the american uh label had kind of handled all of that yeah but the the album is got a mix of different styles and genres and coburn will quite often have kind of spoken word almost poetic song yes i really liked that a lot yeah i thought that was great yeah and he and it's not just a, a one-off thing on this album many many of his albums have that sort of thing so um there's a couple of those kinds of songs on here um berlin tonight is one of those yeah uh, i like that you know, a they're, lot they're like travelogue kinds of songs uh, where he's, you know, an international traveler and just tells these stories. And then the chorus is usually a sung um, kind of thing. So you, we get some of this album, the song World of Wonders. I think it's the third cut on the album. I just really, really love that song. It's a song about the beauty of both the created and the built world, I think. Trying to catch the scent of what's coming to be in this world of wonders. Oh, yeah. that sense of, you know, of what's coming to be and there's you know stand on a bridge before the cavern of night darkness alive with possibility nose to this wind full of twinkling lights trying to catch the scent of what's coming to be in this world of wonders we've got this beautiful image of, of the created world and then the next verse starts you know somewhere a saxophone slides through changes yeah and um there's just many different images that that look at the at the, the power and the beauty of, of creation 
So how does this song like, you know, fit in with all the rest of the songs? It seemed like there was a lot of, like you said, the sort of political questioning of, of yeah. the poor versus, you know, that top uh, percentage of folks and the way the countries run. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, you know, with, with Coburn, is this the, the hope? It, it, <laughs> I, it, it is a song of hope. It's, it's a song of finding um, beauty in the, in the world in spite of the crap. Coburn's music all throughout has always had a focus on the human and the political as well as the beauty of the created world. You know, the the Dancing in the Dragon's Jaws album has a a song called Creation Dream, and many of the songs reflect the beauty of the created world. So I think this is a song that is very much in line with that. And I think even as he's looking at a lot of the political things, he's still looking to find the beauty in the world. It's not an either or, it's a both and. Yeah, it seems like um, it's it's like, a, hey, I'm saying all this other stuff, but I still see the good things. I still have hope, you know, that these things can change. Yeah, you know, yeah, there's a lot exactly. Of beauty. There's a lot of beauty. And, you know, the politics carry on in the, the song, People See Through You. That is a song that directly is critiquing Ronald Reagan and his practices and policies. You've got instant communication, instant data tabulation. You've got the forces of occupation, but you don't get capitulation because people see through you, uh, the Uh chorus of the song goes. So, you know, that's a really intriguing one. And then there's a love song, See How I Miss You. Santiago Dawn, again, kind of another travelogue song. World of Wonders and, and Down Here Tonight, the album closer, are the two that I would point to for if you want to sample. Beautiful melody, Down Here Tonight. And in many ways, I think it treads similar lyrical terrain as the song Wondering Where the Lions Are. You know, that starts out, sun's up, world's okay, world survives into another day. And so this Down Here Tonight is a very similar sort of thing. He's looking at both the beauty and, uh, again, some of the oppression that he's seen in in Central America. And the chorus of the song, uh, speaking of the drums, Pan's going to play and the fire burn bright. Talking drums say everything's all right. 
beating of the seas sends a message to the far starlight. We're doing okay down here tonight. Hmm. And it's a song of hope is you know, we've had all of this other political stuff that he's just, you know, critiquing politics and, and governments and, and policies and finance and whatnot. And yet in the midst of it all, we're doing okay down here tonight. Uh, it's a lovely um, song of hope, I think. Yeah. Musically, there's a lot of world influences. So stuff from all over the world in the arrangements. There's some complexity in Coburn's guitar playing, complexity in the arrangements, elements of jazz and pop and world and rock just all kind of fused together and was very much an influence in my um, you know eclectic appreciation for all kinds of different music would be a big part of it. And then the political commentary, mixing the, the political and the spiritual were a, a couple of big influences and the sorts of things that I appreciate listening to. So you said that what you got wasn't what you expected with this album. Yeah. Was there something you expected or you just didn't um, know what to expect? I didn't quite know what to expect. The one song that I really had the familiarity with, uh, Waiting for a Miracle, is more of a, a piano-driven, rootsy kind of song. And mm -hmm. this is much more electric and not as rootsy uh, as that one song is. And I wasn't sure if this was, you know, because that one song got played on uh, the Christian station, if there would be more overt music. Because Coburn's spirituality as a, as a Christian has, you know, always been something that's a part of his biography. And so, you know, the fact that there was very little overt Christian content was something that was part of that growth out of the... Um, conservative bubble that i was was raised in so but would you it, say his releases after this like does he kind of vary with musical styles and stuff like that or oh because i'm not super yeah. familiar i actually have one of his releases i have um nothing but a burning light oh that's a fantastic um, album. and it's yeah. packed away some somewhere and i need to find it because it was one of those that whenever i got it came out in 1991 because i'm looking yes, at it right now uh-huh and I got it and listened to it several times. I don't know at the time I was, I must've been listening to some other stuff or whatever. So it didn't stay in my rotation at the time. And I think mm -hmm. then kind of got stored away. So I need to pull it back out, but I've got it in my CD collection. And yeah. that's the one I've got. That's my yeah. only, you know, exposure. Yeah. Really. No, Coburn switches up his sonics of his albums quite a bit. Um, nothing but a burning light and then dark to the heart that comes out um, a year or so later um, are both produced by t-bone burnett okay yeah and so they are much more uh rootsy um americana there's a lot of resonator guitar that uh, coburn kind of some bluesy folk influences i mean at heart mm -hmm. coburn is a is a folk musician but there's always a lot of jazz and um blues and rock influences that that mix in so yeah his every album's a little bit of a different listening experience for coburn Cool. i have to dig in you know yeah with all the time i have <laughs> listen to <laughs> I albums know. <laughs> i know right but you know you can always put it on the background while i'm driving or while i'm cooking or something like that so yeah yeah, yeah. so what's your next pick man my next pick is simple minds Sparkle in the rain. Nice. <laughs> I saw you posted about this one earlier today. I did you heard some uh, similarities to uh, one of Chris Taylor's songs, mm -hmm. "Traveler's Hotel"? Right. Yeah. Yeah. This is an interesting one as far as the cutout because I actually didn't 
get this uh, album until maybe a year. It might have been two years ago um, from a used record store, but it was a cutout. Okay, there was like a notch in the LP jacket on the bottom, and it was like four bucks, something like that. So it was probably less expensive than than it definitely would have been if it was you know that notch wasn't in there. But but it was a used store. But yeah, um, pretty much everybody's heard of Simple Minds, <laughs> um, right? And this was their sixth studio album. Mm-hmm. It came out in 1984. It's considered to be kind of their commercial breakthrough. Not too long after this, they'll be on the Breakfast Club soundtrack the next year, the following year, right? Uh, with the song that everybody knows, Don't You Forget About Me. And I just remember loving that song at the time, as almost everyone else did, Don't You Forget About Me. Um, mm-hmm. And I wanted to hear more, but again, this was one of those situations. I don't know if it was partially being in Kansas City, what our record stores had. I didn't have a lot of access to a lot of certain catalogs from artists, especially if they weren't like super big top 40 or -hmm. they weren't squarely in the Christian, you know, market. Um, And this was one of those bands that I, I started trying to seek out more and more. And a lot of their releases I didn't hear until probably a decade ago, mm-hmm. you know, when I sought out digitally right. and found their whole catalog and listened to their whole catalog. I mean, they still make really good music, you know, um, they've mm-hmm. kept making great albums. Uh, yeah. I know you and I have talked about the Street Fighting Years um, right. that came out a little bit later. But yeah, the reason this one's impactful to me is I feel like it's just that style of music of sort of a, a big anthemic stadium style yes. of music they kind of met the members of u2 when they were making the previous album to this and so the two bands kind of were in that same category as far as they were starting to do these big stadium shows and the fact that they were right. doing that affected their music that they made in a lot of the things i read it, it's kind of interesting to me that just being in front of all those people and stuff and sort of going on tour and doing that was affecting the way they were writing music for their next album but yeah, I began slowly picking up the catalog. I didn't get this until recently. I've actually picked up a bunch of their stuff um, fairly recently. Mm-hmm. I was really familiar with their earlier stuff, which is way different okay, um, right. than this. You know, I picked up most of that pretty early on, like in the late 80s, early 90s. But yeah, so this just has some really great tracks on it. Yeah, Pretty much every track I love on here. You know, the standouts are up on the catwalk. People are going to know that one. Waterfront, waterfront. Is the other one. waterfront yeah. is the other one. I think that's probably the the most well-known, well, most played song from this album mm-hmm. at least on Spotify. So it's probably the most well-known. This album, it was recorded after a series of large stadium concerts in 1983. They met the members of U2 and the bands developed a strong liking. A lot of people have had the impression that Simple Minds were largely influenced by U2. But I think the truth is that they were both very strong influences on each other during that time period. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of music that's coming out of the UK that has those large anthemic stadium filling uh, sounds. You know, clearly U2 is doing that. Simple Minds, The Alarm, Waterboys, some of their uh, albums. And, you know, a lot of those bands, often their music was referred to as the big music. And I think it both in terms of the sound, but I think it's also in terms of the lyrical ideas that a lot of those bands are are working with. It's music that is reflecting on the whole of the human experience, not just isolated, kind of an individualistic approach. 
Yeah, and to that point, this was in the middle of all the heavy metal, hard rock hair bands. Right. And, you know, they're singing about like he's got the up on the catwalk is, you know, it's about fame and the effect of fame and, mm-hmm. and what that effect has on um, different people. You know, right. And the ego that comes with that. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, all those hair bands weren't singing about that. No, <laughs> uh, They were like reveling in the ego part of it. But musically, I love Up on the Catwalk. It kind of comes in. It's got crashing keyboards, offbeat drums. And Jim Kerr described it as crashing drums and fantasies running wild. <laughs> <laughs> Up on the Catwalk is us at our spikiest and most dynamic. <laughs> mentioned the keys you know as i think about simple minds music i think there's a lot of their music that is much more keyboard driven than guitar driven although they do have guitars yeah Yeah. um so it's much more of a keyboard sound but they're not the typical 80s synth pop right kind of thing even though i I wouldn't think of them like a a duran duran or um, depeche mode sort of Thing, but it when you say keyboard driven. driven, that tends to make people think like you're talking about, like Duran Duran or right. Flock of Seagulls or something like that, or maybe you know even Erasure or Pet Shop Boys. But right. yeah, definitely a completely different sound than that. And then the waterfront, mm-hmm. you know, I really liked what that was about. He's talking about going down to the waterfront. It was written about these big shipyards, and I'll just read some of the lyrics. I'm going to move up to the waterfront. Step in, step out of the rain. I'm going to walk up to mm-hmm. the waterfront. Said one million years from today, step on up to the waterfront. Said, come in, come out of the rain. And yeah. it's sort of a song about like how there's all these big shipyards and stuff down there and all these things man has made, you know, by the waterfront. And a million years from now, there's the waterfront's still going to be there and all that stuff's going to be gone and, you know, eroded away or whatever. <laughs> but the waterfront's yeah. going to be there. So it's sort of a commentary on time and what remains and, mm-hmm. and what doesn't. So, and the waterfront's got this like throbbing pulse to yeah. it. It just really pulled me in, you know, to that, that whole European song. alternative music feel yeah. of the 80s. So I love it. Play it over and over again.
So this is an album that you've appreciated the Simple Minds for a while. You're adding this one to the library a little bit later on, however. What's been the impact for you as a fan of Simple Minds? Was there a deeper, longer connection and that this was just simply a, a later edition? Or, you know, how has this uh, shaped you as, as a fan and, and as a listener? You know, back in the 80s, I think Simple Minds was part of that group of bands very small group that was sort of the epitome of like i said the european new wave alternative music that i really was like okay that's the kind of music i want to listen to that's the kind of music uh -huh. i want to pursue because it was different and um unique and then as i began to buy up their releases like i said i bought their earlier releases first life in a day real the real cacophony they were very obscure all very different and i liked anything that was different or unique or out there that was different than what other people were listening to. So then that just further solidified my interest. And then I just kept buying up their music as I could find it. And then, you know, with the internet music becoming more prominent and being able to find albums to download and stuff. And I think I got, mm -hmm. I found their catalog. I probably found a torrent file of their catalog <laughs> or something like that. No and dialed, you know, downloaded it and listened to it all. That's when I got to discover a bunch of these other ones that I knew existed, but just hadn't ever found. But I'm building up my catalog of like hard copy vinyl of The Simple Minds because I love it, but also sounds weird maybe, but out of a respect for the band. Sure. I want to purchase these and respect the band by doing that yeah. and having that in my catalog. You that know? makes perfect sense. So, yeah, I recently came across a copy of their live in the city of light album that came mm. out the 87 88 so i wow acquired that picked that up you don't see it. that too often no no it doesn't come up very often the it's a solid black cover with i think the gold clotta hands and yeah and text and but there's kind of got the white ring you know the, the wear ring from the the disc inside but right you know I'll, yeah, it's I'll okay it. that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> not a big deal and it's 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 a fairly can copy minor just a few minor surface scratches but nothing major yeah it's got character then <laughs> it's got character there you go <laughs> exactly and then his voice i mean yeah come on he's yeah. got a great Jim voice Kerr, right yeah yeah so they got the package yeah and the uh, the chris taylor connection you were referencing earlier i was listening to this song and i heard um street hassle which they do mm -hmm. which i didn't know until chris pointed out but it's it's a lou reed cover yeah i didn't and... know that either Throughout the song, I hear Jim Kerr singing these sha la 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 las, and I'm going, geez, that's awfully familiar. <laughs> I know that from somewhere. And then all of a sudden, I realized I think I've heard Chris Taylor doing that. Wow. Start going through my head and all of the different Chris Taylor. Oh, wait a minute. That's how the um, the song Traveler's Hotel from that album with that same name, he sings that. And I went back and pulled that up, listened to that, went back and listened to The Simple Minds. It's almost identical. Wow. And, uh, yeah, it was really trippy. That's hearing pretty that. impressive that you pulled that out. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that was it was kind of fun finding this point of of inspiration for, mm -hmm. for Chris, the artist that I, I love finding those. Yeah. Yeah. Chris has a lot of those too. Oh, he does. He's a big fan of you know the Simple Minds and Echo and the Bunny Men and yeah, you know all of those eighties bands, those, yeah. those new wave bands, alternative bands. So it's fun to find little things he sticks in there that he right. you know pulls out or even sometimes inadvertently pulls out. I think. Yeah. So so here we are talking about Simple Minds, and I'm just 
able to see the tops of your shirt and realizing you're wearing your breakfast club shirt. Uh, yeah, I didn't so intentionally do that. Any connection. I didn't. In- <laughs> Don't you I forget honest- about me and breakfast club and simple minds. <laughs> I honestly didn't intentionally do that. <laughs> I just put it on. Serendipity uh, then. My girlfriend's daughter gave this to me. Nice. Uh, so, yeah. So I'll throw it on every once in a while. So, <laughs> and, and be that guy that's got the breakfast club shirt on. <laughs> yep. Yep. Very appropriate for our conversation. Yeah, there you right go. Now. Yeah. So let me go. I'm going to go put another band shirt on. That's oh, for yeah. the next album. <laughs> I don't have one. I wish I did, but we got your next one first. All right. I think I know which one it is, but go ahead. Well, the next one I'm going to pull up, uh, Tony OK, Notes from the Lost Civilization. You know, as I look at the list, all of the albums here or artists, I've had some sort of familiarity with them ahead of time. Tony O'Kay's Notes from the Lost Civilization came out on What Records, which mm-hmm. was a joint venture between AM and uh, Word Records, uh, Word in the Christian Marketplace. And Tom Willett pulls together a roster of artists that he's hoping will be able to be played in both, kind of break down these barriers between the CCM market and the general market. Uh, Tony O'Kay, of course, has had two or three albums prior that uh, you know he'd done pretty well in the pop market. But he uh, is a person of faith. And so Tom says this is a a perfect uh, crossover. So he'd had the earlier album, what, 86 or 87, uh, Romeo Unchained, which is much more of a a keyboard. It's a little more new wavy. Yeah. A little more new wavy. Yeah. And then Notes from the Lost Civilization comes out in 88, produced by Tonio and David Miner, and executive produced by T-Bone Burnett. T-Bone Burnett. So T-Bone's yeah. got some influence here. And David Miner, by the way, played with T-Bone in the Alpha Band in the late 70s. The, the Alpha Band, uh, along with Stephen Souls, were guys that had been a part of Bob Dylan's Rolling Thunder review and all of that. So... We've continuing to have that connection between Tonio and T-Bone and, and T-Bone on some of the other albums we've talked about here. There's all kinds of really good music where Romeo Unchained was more of that new wave thing. There's a lot more pop and rock and a little bit more of a rootsier feel. I think David Miner's production uh, really influenced that in a lot of ways. The opening track, and this would be one uh, that you might play, uh, Without Love, got a really cool jangle pop kind of feel to it. And uh, just it sets the tone and the tempo for the album uh, really well. I really enjoy that one.
there's all kinds of different experiences of humanity, of love and struggle and hope. And there's a, a, a significant spirituality in this music. But again, it's not an overt kind of thing. The other song I think I would encourage you, uh, you to play is I Love This City. And it's just a, it's a song a about... more upbeat. Yeah. It, it's an upbeat tune. It, it rocks pretty good. But it's a song about love in a city with all of the struggles and the challenges. Um, I love this city. I feel so alive here. Three years ago, I moved to Columbus, Ohio. This is my first time living in the city. I'm just oh, a, okay. a mile or two from downtown Columbus. Oh, and nice. I'm in an older, much more established neighborhood. And I remember driving around my new neighborhood in the first couple of months I was here and hearing Tony OK. I love this city in my head as I'm driving around and just getting familiar <laughs> with the new place. I hope you survive. Isn't that, <laughs> nice isn't that call the out there to the lyric. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I hope I survive. <laughs> yeah, um, I remember some of the lyrics because this is actually one I was familiar with, and <laughs> yeah, I don't have a copy now, but I did when it came out. Yeah. album is really good and there's a lot of intriguing songs here this is an album where when it was originally released there were two different versions there was a nine song version and a ten song version i don't know yes. if you remember uh, I do. this story yeah yeah so the ccm market gets the nine song version and the general market gets the ten song <sighs> version and of course i found this again i think it nobody beats the whiz and it was the ten song version so it was i was the ten really song to get that the ten song version <laughs> But the one song that gets dropped is a song called What Women Want. It's a, I think, a, a feminist anthem, a song about respecting and appreciating women. Yeah. And it has the line, I know what these women want. They want sex. And that's immediately followed up with, yeah, that's true. But what they want is love. Mm. And because it acknowledged that women might be sexual beings. Beings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That it was too scandalous for the Christian marketplace. And so they 
dropped uh, that song so that it could be sold in the mom and pop Christian bookstores and people wouldn't be uh, getting their knickers in a knot because uh, it mentioned the the fact that people are sexual beings. Yeah. When he was writing it, do you think it ever even was, I wonder if I should write this or not, or I wonder if what, what effect this will have. I don't think it held him up at all, but I wonder if no, he thought about it and thought he probably honestly, didn't think- care. <laughs> yeah, and for Tonio, as an artist that had been working outside of the strictures of the Christian bookstore marketplace, he's yeah. just writing groovy rock and roll songs, and he happened to back into having a couple of his albums sold in, in Christian bookstores, so yeah. he's just going to write the music that he's wanting to write. Yeah. That sadly sounds very typical of the Christian <laughs> yeah. music stores. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So you had the version that had it on there. I believe I did too when I had it. It was a cassette. Okay. What was the company that that came out under? The one that had all the 10? Was it? Well, it was. Was it, it what? Was, just what records? Because I it thought was it was just what, what records. records. Yeah, it was It was all what records. It was just certain one version was marketed to the Christian bookstores and the 10 song version was marketed to the okay. typical Sam Goody and, you know, all of the yeah. what you'd find at the. Camelot, and if you remember Camelot music, was was that in your area? Oh yeah, yeah. Camelot Records, yeah. Yep. So you know, the ten song version went to the regular record stores. So the effect this one had on you and the impact. Talk to me about that. Like, what yeah. was it? Probably some similarities with some of the other albums you've listed so far. Yeah, you know, seeing the interconnectedness, a lot of the stuff that that T-Bone's been working on, because this album and T-Bone's album, we'll talk about uh, when I talk about my next one, both come out in 88. A lot of the same musicians are playing on that, same musicians playing on Leslie's The Turning. You know, looking at, at the lyrics of this album, Tony O.K. says some pretty profound spiritual things without needing to be blatantly religious. You know, I mentioned the uh, the opening track, uh, Without Love. In many ways, uh, looking at the lyrics, it's very similar to 1 Corinthians 13. There's people on the moon last night, probably on their way to Mars. There's people under the ocean and a hundred stories up dreaming about the stars. Everybody's on the move. Ain't nothing we can't do. Nothing we can't buy or build to make these dreams come true. But it ain't nothing without love. It ain't nothing without real love. You know, it's it's yeah. not the same wording of First Corinthians it's, thirteen. It's, that, yeah, that same idea. It's that same idea that yeah. you know we can do all of these big fancy things, but without love connecting people, you know, it's. Uh, well, to quote St. Paul, it's a, you know, clanging gong, right? Yeah. It ain't yeah. without real love. Yeah, that song, the the lyrics in that song reminded me of a podcast I was listening to the other day. It was like this really smart guy. Somebody asked him on the podcast, like, so do you think it'll be possible for us to live on the moon? Is that something that's going to, you know, be technologically possible? And he's like, well, yeah, I think it's technologically possible but would you want to live there? He's like, I happen to think the earth is a very beautiful place <laughs> to live. <laughs> he was kind of poking yeah. fun at like, you know, all these technological advances. It's like wh- some of the stuff, it's like, why are we even pursuing? Why would yeah. we want to pursue some of that? Why wouldn't right. we want to, you know, better things on earth? You know, <laughs> I just thought yeah. it was interesting. Uh, I'll just name real quick the Executioner's song. The monster walked out of the garden, brushed off, uh, the dust off his shoulders strained his high. He took a hat from the rack. He wore hats. He took a yeah. name and headed east and he said, I'm going to ruin this place. 
really groovy song, but I just want to name this because when we come to talking about Steve Taylor on the Fritz, I think there's a connection or a feel hmm. that's very similar with the song Drive, He Said. Drive, He Said. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I can see I, those I didn't even think about that, but you're right. Sister songs. Uh, they have a similar feel and vibe uh, yeah. to them. And the way he delivers, he wore hats in yes. the song. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's great. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about that, but you're right. Like there, there is a very similar vibe to Drive. He said in, uh-huh. in the Executioner song. Yeah. What you got next? Oh boy, the call, seen beyond dreams. All right. 1984. I think we're pretty much strictly in the 80s here so far. So far, and yeah. I think all we of might will be come out in the second half of the 80s. I think the latest one might be your call pick that's coming up, and I think it was 89, maybe. So yes, this was one of their earlier albums, Seen Beyond Dreams, 1984, their third album. Third, um, yep. Had a cutout in the LP jacket on the bottom. Still got it. Uh, this is the album that Michael Bean called their metaphysical album. yeah Um, i saw a quote about that yeah well i've read a lot about this album over the years but i hadn't read this they were some really heavy times for them they had some personal tragedies strained relationships and stuff Mm -hmm. like that he always had a a good uh sort of a poetic approach but i think this one um was even more so when you try to look at the lyrics in this album and digest them there's a lot of different meanings you can take and there's a lot of things you you don't understand exactly what it means um, there's right. some things that are pretty obvious what it means, so which is the kind of stuff I like because you have to dig into it and kind of try to figure it out. This was Jim Goodwin, the keyboardist. I believe this was the first album he was on. And so that kind of changed okay. the sound of the album as well. I discovered Reconciled by The Call in, in high school. That was my first. Yeah. Well, I shouldn't say that was my first. I heard The Walls Came Down okay. like a lot yeah. of other people did because that was a top 40 hit from their second album, Modern Romans. And mm-hmm. then I discovered Reconciled through a friend who uh, was able to get the Christian music station from one of the Christian universities that was out of range of where I lived in the city. I couldn't get it, uh. but he could get it. And it was another one of those stations where there were some DJs, kind of like what you were talking about, where they would play sort of the yeah. Christian adjacent music. I think Reconciled was the one call release that was in Christian bookstores, from what I remember. At the time, it it may have been, yeah. I bought it in a Christian bookstore, and it was the only one, I think, that was ever featured in Mm. the mainstream Christian bookstores. Well, Um, and it may have been that you had a pretty open record buyer who who liked that album themselves. Could have been. And that's probably true. But it was, that was I remember it was in, record. it was in more than one, like it was in okay. all the ones I would go to, it was in. So I'm not sure what caused that. Maybe I still believe. Um, I still believe is going to be a um, big reason, I'll bet. And, and album title like Reconciled. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's going to be a buzzword that's going to yeah. make it easy to sell in a Christian bookstore. Right, right. So yeah, so I, I was familiar with that. And then after I heard that same old story, I started buying up cassettes of everything I could find from the call. And I could actually find everything from the call in the, in the music stores, um, the secular music stores around. So, and I loved it. I loved the lyrics, the music, and I loved his delivery of the music. And Mm -hmm. on scene beyond dreams, he puts a lot of emotion into his delivery. Not that he didn't on the others, but this one, I don't know. It just with the keyboards Jim Goodwin's keyboards and I guess what they were going through and the poetic lyrics, it just really, uh, this album made a huge impact on me. And I listened to it over and over again. 
I discovered this particular album. I bought it and you know, was listening to it when I was kind of wrestling with a lot of the Christian culture type stuff in the 80s. Gotcha. You know, yeah. if your relationship with God is where it should be, then you're going to have peace and calm. You're not going to have any struggles or, or mental issues or depression or anything like that. Um, and if you do, that means there's something wrong with your relationship with God. But this album was like a, a poetic mix of turmoil, anxiety, doubt, desperation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it also had this underlying feeling of hope. You know, yeah. and you're probably pretty familiar with this album because I know you're a call fan. I love the call. This was an album I've not heard as much. The, the first okay. three albums for a long time were only available. It's weird on LP, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and in fact, the first three albums, to my knowledge, have never been released on CD. There was a best of mm-hmm. the early years. I think it was called the. There Walls was a mix that, yep. that had three, like four songs from each of those first three albums. So I'm pick that album up but these songs from scene beyond dreams are at the end of the album and other than the title track i really don't remember any of the other songs so as i was listening to it again sometime in the last four to five years i think they were available as streaming albums so i actually purchased them digitally and i've got them in my library that way but i've not listened to them a whole lot so there's but there's some really really good music i was really enjoying it this morning yeah uh, um, when i was to, listening to jump onto what you said this one's really weird as far as availability or the first three albums are mm-hmm. really weird the mercury albums yeah um, for a long time they weren't available on streaming i don't think they've ever been available on spotify they're not now really? not the first three they were available on amazon music for a while which is when i finally got them again because mm-hmm. I had them all on cassettes, but I don't have any of my cassettes anymore. And so all I had was that compilation you were talking about. Yeah. The walls came down. And then I, every once in a while, years ago, I would find one of the songs on YouTube or something like that. Now they're all there. And I would, you know, try to download it or whatever, if I could, if I could somehow find it. So then they were on Amazon for a while. And then I think, I don't, I don't know that they're on Amazon now again. Yeah. So I'm not sure what's going on with the licensing with that with those albums, but um... yeah, I bought my copies, the digital copies through Apple Music, and I'm looking at Apple mm-hmm. Music right now, iTunes. Is it I on there right now? See it. It's not on right now. It's so weird. It'll be on yeah. and then it'll disappear again. Yeah. And I don't know if some of that's got to do with how many buyers they have, whether they're, you know, storage or what, what they have available, but just so weird. I don't think they've ever been on Spotify. But yeah, so that opening track, the one you'd heard, was that one on the compilation? I can't remember now. I've had that CD Uh, put away for so long. (laughs) Yeah. It was hard for me. Like I got that compilation CD. It was so hard for me because I was like, oh, it's so great that these are out on CD. But all I could think about was all the songs that were missing. I was like, ah, this song's (laughs) not here. This song's not here. Yeah. So Scene Beyond Dreams, there's all these sort of veiled references to Jesus and you could take it as Jesus or you could take it as about something else. But a lot of it's got to do with God and his coming and inserting himself into our world to give hmm. us hope. Uh, so, you know, Scene Beyond Dreams starts out, so where to begin? Let's start with a child. Yeah. And where will it end? Where the perfect guest meets his fate in a scene beyond dreams. Wow. The awaited appears, branded with lies, calls to his own, loved and despised. Mm. From a scene beyond dreams, and a mother cries, and she cries, and we watch, and we wait, and we watch, and the hero dies. 
So, of wow. course, at the time, this was, you know, I got this probably in 87 or 88, I think. So I just ate this up because I was like, okay, here's this quote unquote secular group. I feel like I'm reading lyrics that are talking about Jesus coming down to earth right, and living this life and then being rejected and dying and this really beautiful uh, metaphorical description of these events. Mm-hmm. So. There's a lot of songs I really like on here. It was hard for me to pick two that I might play. So Seen Beyond Dreams, that had to be one of them. You can actually go and watch them playing. uh, You can find it on YouTube. They're playing Seen Beyond Dreams. I don't remember if it was American Bandstand. I think it might have been. But it's such a heartfelt delivery that anyone who listens to the call a lot would expect from Michael Bean. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's... It's kind of interesting, uh, the actual performance, because it's like, okay, this is not what these people are here at American Bandstand to watch (laughs) this song. (laughs) It's not Iran by Flock of Seagulls. (laughs) Right. Then there's there's so many other great songs on here, but there's one, another one I really like is called Tremble. And you'll hear again, this talks about sort of a journey through life, um, mm-hmm. but it also has some sort of allusions to Christ and the resurrection. So, so it says, firstborn grace begins, more bones, more skin, veins surround me like a nest, tie me in, first caress, home. So it's sort of like being born. And right. then it says, the chorus is kind of a weird chorus. It says, a womb to grow human in a world to grow Mm. human in, tremble. Last words, life begins, more bones, more skin. Grave clothes are cast away. Love returns faithfully home. Mm. So it's sort of got that resurrection aspect to it. And then musically in the midst of us, it's got this awesome guitar solo.
but yeah so this album you know a lot of it i could really relate to at the time you know it was mm -hmm. a lot about the struggles he has a song called heavy hand on here that's all kind of like waking up in the middle of the night and you feel that uh, like sort of oppression of darkness and aloneness and mm -hmm. and throughout the lyrics in in that song heavy hand he kind of sees it as both bad and good right. is this a bad thing is this the darkness attacking me or coming after me or is this god like you know mm -hmm. trying to make me understand that i need him and pull me closer right. to him i always love the whole concept of like sort of two things pushing against each other and the counterintuitiveness yeah. of things it could be bad or it could be good you know <laughs> there was a cd by the swirling eddies that i got in the mail and this was many years ago i have no idea why i got it it showed up in the mail a cd huh. <laughs> and that's cool. Um, yeah. And I'm like, did I sign up for something? Did I like contribute some money to a membership thing? I doubt it because it was in the years where I had no money. And I was like, I don't remember this at all. But it showed up and it was different than some of the previous Orlinetti's uh, releases that were kind of a little more like sort of, I don't want to use the word hokey, but kind of like they had those kind of silliness in there or whatever. This whole release was a little more deep, I felt to me. It's called It All Depends. In hmm. the, the album is called The Midget, The Speck, Midget. and The Molecule. I'm and it's the one. first track, Faith to Move a Mountain or a Zealot's Wishful Thinking, A Connoisseur of the Finest Wines or Just Another Drunkard Drinking, <laughs> <laughs> One More Dirty Whistleblower or A Conscious Coming Clean. I suppose it all depends how you look at these things. And it's got wow. all these different things. You can look at them different ways. Yeah. So I don't know. That's really good. Um, but I love stuff like that. So sorry, I didn't mean to go off on a tangent there. But but yeah, The Call, that's one of the ones I have to be careful with. I could go on and on. They're definitely in my top five of bands that have influenced me. They're an amazing band. All the uh, music I've ever attempted to write <laughs> as, you know, back in the college days was influenced by The Call. I remember at the time I got cassettes of the early music of the call. There weren't any lyrics. It was those cassettes where you open it up and it's just got the one fold with right. nothing else. Yeah. And I went through and like, I think I had one of those typewriters that had the memory in it at the time. Remember those? Okay. Yeah. Yep. And I went through and I like listened to the cassette. It was probably in a Walkman. It had to be in a Walkman because I had little headphones. And I sat there and stop, rewind, stop, rewind, and typed down all of the lyrics as well as I could hear them. That's dedicated. And I had like this this notebook full of the call lyrics. So that's <laughs> that's how much time I invested in trying to understand the call. Oh, and, that's amazing. And what they were about. So it's hard to even find words how much the call influenced me. So other podcasts, cool. <laughs> I'll be doing albums, but... <laughs> I've been asked to do the call by some listeners. So, and that's one of those ones kind of like the cure. It's like, oh man, it's so big. How, I know. How do I tackle it? Well, guess what, gang? That is going to wrap it up for part one of Cutouts. I want to thank each of you for coming along for the ride. And I want to especially thank those of you who keep coming back for more. I'm not sure if you're in your right minds or not, but I love, love that you keep joining me. Behind me right now is a song called Cutout by Grizzly Bear. Make sure you check out all the great music that Mark and I talked about, and don't forget to check back in for part two of Cutouts. Peace to you, my friends. So long. So long.